Welcome to the Couch Olympians podcast. I'm your host, Harry, and every episode I'll be joined by a new guest to talk about Olympics of the past while looking forward to Tokyo 2021. This is Couch Olympians. back to the Couch Olympians podcast. I'm delighted to be joined by Oshin here from the Home End podcast. Oshin, welcome to the Harry, thanks a, million, thanks a million for having me. Looking forward to it. The dominant question to ask is, football at the Olympics, what do you think about it? Yeah, it's a bit of a weird one. I think we were kind of chatting off camera a little bit because it seems like it's one that's not, you kind of mentioned as well, it's, it's prestigious in certain in certain countries, or I suppose in certain cultures, it's a little bit more prestigious than it is um, in others. I don't think the Europeans kind of take it necessarily as seriously, perhaps, as the South Americans. And I know a couple of the African countries have benefited as well, especially from the under-23 rule coming in, and the likes of Nigeria, I think Cameroon as well. So um, as a whole, I think it's an interesting one, because I think it's one that doesn't get probably enough coverage as maybe it perhaps should. Because, I mean, you look at look back at some of the teams there, like obviously Brazil, in 2016 they are impressive I think the Team GB thing was was, was super interesting I think that's yeah, something definitely. that kind of yeah that kind of it, it didn't really kick off but the whole concept of merging four countries into one I think um, was interesting so I think it's it's kind of nearly an untapped market in many in many aspects um, it's something that's kind of not necessarily spoken about too much I think I think the women's one is probably a lot more prestigious in the sense that um, the under 23 rule doesn't apply there and it's kind of similar in prestige to probably the Women's World Cup. Yeah, like the under-23 rule is, is interesting because it's a good way of getting a lot of younger players that really, really valuable game time because like an Olympic Games, playing an Olympic Games is probably going to be a lot more beneficial to a player's growth than say playing in an under-21 Euros or playing even like under-23 Premier League. Or yeah, just the reserve. pressure of the, yeah, the, and the crowds. Exactly like, you know, a lot of the things about the Olympics as well, they'll get the big crowd regardless. But one thing that you circle, I want to circle back on what you said there is about, you know, it's a great time for the under 23s to get game time. But is that what the Olympics is all about? You know, some some people would view the Olympics as the pinnacle. Like you look at sports like athletics and swimming, like you kind of peak for the Olympics. While in football, uh, it just kind of is a passenger. And, you know, it start the event start before starts before the opening ceremony. You know, it doesn't have a massive interest, you know, if apart from football fans, you know, if, if me or you are watching it, you will obviously pay attention. We'll watch it. But in terms of casual Olympic coverage, as you said, it doesn't get the big coverage. But interestingly, I look back into the history of it and it's it's very, very interesting. So before it was made an official sport, they still had a football competition. But 1908 was the first official football Olympics, which makes it the oldest international football tournament in the world. Then in L.A. 1932, FIFA launched the World Cup and then that became the professional focus. And they felt the Olympics misrepresented the strength of international football because it was purely amateur. Uh, they didn't have the under-23 rule yet. Uh, and then you saw it come back in Berlin in 1936 because of income and also because of like the German uh, way, you know, it was the Nazi Olympics, you know, uh, football was such a big sport in Germany. There's obviously influence coming from there. And then it remained amateur for a while. And from 1948 to 1992, Soviet countries dominate. And if you look back at the history, Hungary are the Olympic football goats. They have the yeah, most I medals. Yeah, actually. Yeah, interesting. Um, and it, the reason for that was because the Soviets dominated because uh, they had state-sponsored athletes. So in theory, they were amateurs, while the rest of Europe and uh, South America 
were playing professional football and it was professional by designation. So, but in the Soviet countries, they were amateur. And then in 1984, the pros were allowed to play. Uh, but FIFA said players from Europe or South America were not allowed to field uh, squad members who had played in a World Cup. So this was a way of kind of, as you said, getting the African countries involved, getting yeah. maybe, you know, the US involved or uh, the Asian countries um, And then in 1992 is when the current age limit restriction comes in. So people who aren't aware, listeners who aren't aware, you're allowed to field as many under 23 players as you like, and you're only allowed three squad members from over that age. So as Oshin said, it's a good opportunity for the young lads to get a, get a run out. And something that you think is surprising is Team GB didn't, don't compete uh, due to because their association problem. So, you know, the Welsh FA, the Scottish FA, the Northern Irish FA, it's, it's a big issue that they felt FIFA would take away their status as individual countries. Yeah. That's why London 2012 was kind of controversial in a way that they had a, they fielded a Team GB. Uh, so just on the history of it, Oisín, any thoughts there that stands out to you? Yeah, it's super interesting. I mean, I kind of like the idea of kind of the attempt to kind of level the playing field in a way with with um, a number of different associations and a number of different countries. As you mentioned, like the Team GB thing, I find really super interesting. Um, just the fact that obviously they merged a couple of like it's typical. Like there was issues between different associations and um, and arguments and things like that. I, I think I was reading up as well on Brazil um, from 2016 and the note that a couple of the players, I think Douglas Costa of Bayern Munich, I think he was with at the time. They didn't allow the club actually didn't allow him to go and represent them or represent Brazil in the in the World Cup because of obviously preseason duties with the club. So that's an interesting kink, kink as well, I think. And I know what happens a, a bit in basketball, um, where sometimes yeah, nice the, hockey in the Winter Olympics. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Essentially, the clubs won't, won't allow players out, and I think that kind of that also hurt the prestige as well a bit when you kind of have like obviously club club football, professional club football is, is huge, but when you have teams who are kind of on players who are not being allowed to represent their country in what is such a, like the Olympics is one of the most prestigious events in all of sport, arguably the most prestigious event in all of sport. And you have clubs being like, no, we'd rather you just play the friendly against some German third division team than, you know what I mean? So that kind <laughs> yeah, of, that could yeah, kill team it. of postmen, that, like. Exactly. Like, yeah. so that kind of, that hit, might kill it a little bit. But yeah. No, it is interesting. Like I, I, as I said, I do like the under twenty three rule. I think it kind of evens it out a little bit. Um, but the hungry, the hungry thing was interesting. I did, did see that that they kind of dominated for a little period of time. And there's um, some good clips of the games as well because the Olympics has always got like a big television rights and all. And uh, the Hungarians just won with long balls. Like it, it was, yeah, yeah. But the thing is, they that. were so much bigger. So the amateur rule from in nineteen uh, in the nineteen forties to the nineteen seventies, you know, uh, where our professionals weren't allowed to play. It, but the Soviet amateurs, in, in quotation yeah. marks there, were much older, much more experienced, much stronger, much bigger. So they were just physically just playing them off the ball. Um, and yeah, and the, I like the rule that I think that kind of helped. You, you kind of see FIFA's fingerprints all over everything that happens here, which is understandable. But that the pros were allowed to play. But if a player had played in the World Cup for Europe or South America, they weren't, you know, so it yeah. kind of brought up the level of the teams that hadn't or the players that hadn't gotten the opportunity. Uh, but another thing that I found to be a key point in some articles that I was reading was the fact that the Euros was always on just before the Olympics. Oh, yeah. So if you come to the London 2012 games, no players who played in the Euros for that Team GB team were selected to play for in the Olympics. England team, obviously, you know, there's a lot of young players. Uh, but going on to that Team GB team, obviously, the controversy around it. 
and they didn't end up even selecting any Scottish or Northern Irish yeah. players. And they had three players who were, they, had, they selected their three players who were over 23. Can you name those two, three players? I know one of them was Ryan Giggs, definitely. Yeah, he was captain. Yeah, I think it was Bellamy another one. Yeah, and I, I can't quite... Oh, no, I saw it. Mika Richards, I think, might have been yeah, the third one. but who was, who was barely over the age limit. Was he? Yeah, I didn't yeah. actually... But there was something about David Beckham as well, wasn't there? I think he was in the initial he was, squad. Yeah, he, he wanted... There was some talk about him. He really wants to kind of get back into it and stuff. But yeah. uh, there was... Then again, there's some tape, for, uh, blue tape about him uh, yeah. being involved. Um, and then I had a look at the wider squad, and you're... You have a football podcast. You know as much about football as anyone I know. <laughs> so I want you to know where are they now of these two players? Oh, God, love that. Love it. Okay. Stephen yeah. Cocker. Where was oh, he? Where? where is he now? Oh, Stephen Cocker. Oh, he surely must be playing. Oh, where was he at the time? I think he was with either Spurs or QPR at the time. Yeah. Um, I'd say he's playing in India or somewhere like that now. I'm yeah, not too Alan, sure. Alan Asapar. <laughs> wow. Okay, because I know he went. Didn't he go on loan to Liverpool or something? One of the one of Liverpool's many defensive. He was prices. a journeyman. He was a journeyman yeah. around the place. And then the yeah. other one is Marvin Sordell. I saw that one actually. Marvin Sordell is brilliant. He, actually, he's really, really worth a Google because he is fantastic for mental health. Uh, the mental health of footballers. He does exceptional work. He suffered really badly from depression oh, uh, really? for years. So he he his his stuff is really really good. He's con- he's on Sky Sports quite a lot. I think he's done a couple of articles with four four two. But uh, yeah, he's he's really really good in that sense. Because um, I saw I he, he was quite retired. young and he's retired. So yeah, because he was a good off the field. He was a good talent. I think he went to Bolton. Uh, went yeah. to Bolton. I think from Watford. Uh, he was at Bolton was... at the time. He got selected anyway. And yeah, kind of being a star in the under twenty threes team. Yeah. Uh, so I have another challenge here. If we were to pick Ooh. Team GB now, here's oh, how well. I'd line up. Oh, I love this. Okay. Okay. So I'm playing a four three three. Oh, and up front we've got Rashford. Calvert Leon and Sancho. Great. Kane obviously is Kane is what twenty five. No, he's way more. He's yeah, way yeah but he's he's not, he's not one of my three. Okay. Oh, perfect. Sorry. Yes, yes. Yeah, I, I have my three. He's not one of my three. Okay. Okay. And I'll tell you why after. Yeah. In midfield, I've got Foden, Mount, and McTominay as one of my three Ooh. guys who's over twenty three. My back four: Andy Robertson, yeah. John Stones, Ben Godfrey, and reluctantly Trent. At right back, that's yeah, kind of have to, and that then I have Dean right. Henderson and goal. So my oh, well, three, okay. my three over twenty threes are McTominay, Stones, and Robertson. That's good. Robertson's that? a great show. Yeah, Robertson is a show. Uh, Stones, yeah, I like that too. No Welsh guys. I'm trying to think who who you could put in in, in Wales. Bale, no, Bale's past it. I yeah, yeah, no, but there's no real, yeah. there's no real. You could have maybe like Brooks or something. Um, David Brooks, yeah, player, yeah. Uh, he was, but again, he's not a level of Sancho or. No, no, I think that front. I think your front three is pretty is pretty set. But also, you got you got so much young talent coming in behind. To, even off the bench, you have to like some Mason Greenwood. Um, yeah. So I didn't Probably. think I I, th- I thought you were kind of wasting a space by taking Kane. Yeah. On the team. Yeah, it's probably true. And then I feel like the England team in general lack that holding midfielder. Like you got Henderson and yeah. Rice, but I think McTominay is definitely a better option to Rice. Yeah. You know, yeah. If you're playing that like that show. formation, but uh, that was my controversial one, bringing McTominay as one of my yeah, McTominay is an interesting one. I think he plays centre half for Scotland as well. Yeah, um, he's kind of just everything for them. <laughs> he's quite yeah, he's quite a uh, he's quite a versatile player, but he's had a good season. So, Very good season. Um, I can I can back that one. All right, he scored twice against Leeds, so if, maybe maybe not. If he claimed his heritage for England, if he'd stake for England, I don't think there's any doubt that he'd be in 
you see the Henderson role, you see Henderson's captain, you got that communication yeah. aspect. But in terms of just what he offers, I I definitely go with McTominay over Henderson. Would you? Yeah, that's interesting. Definitely. That's interesting. I'd probably go with Henderson as the as an eight, maybe, and and have if you were to put McTominay and have him as a six, like with you know what I mean. Take out take Amor out Rice, Amor Rice as a six, and then have yeah have a have a have one as your so go like a, a diamond up top. So have like a ten, two wingers, and a nine then. And have maybe Mount as your ten or Foden as your ten, and take out Mount or something like that. But it really speaks to how much young talent is coming through in England. Oh yeah, because like you could feel sure. that team. Let's say if you you take out Robertson and McTominay and just thing around, you could very easily feel that team and they'd compete at an international level. So for sure, it's quite interesting. Sure. And something you touched about earlier in the introduction is about Brazil and the 2016 squad. And you know that was flooded with names. Um, yeah. So. Um, I have a little piece here that was uh, from Time magazine and it speaks to uh, the, how people view the Olympics uh, in football. And this is about Neymar. And it goes, he was the face of, he was Brazil's face for these Olympics, carrying a nation's expectations on his feet. After Germany humiliated Brazil on their own soil, he had a lot to prove and they played Germany in the final. Oh yeah. So, and anyway, if you don't know the story, Brazil win in Rio. Uh, and Neymar when hits the winning penalty uh, in the final, it was one all. He scored a free kick earlier in the game. But here's here's how the journalist describes what happened after Neymar hit the winning penalty. Neymar's head sank to the grass, and he erupted in tears as teammates mobbed him on the field. Fans in the stadium, outside of it on the streets of Rio, and across the entire country did the same. No one wanted to leave. Podiums were hauled out for the medal ceremony, and Neymar took a victory lap after the after to the applause that would have been reversed for, reserved for Usain Bolt had the games been in Kingston in Jamaica. They described it as revenge and the host nation had not fared well in the Olympics. Brazil were aiming to be in the top 10 in the medals. They didn't really even crack that. Uh, yeah. So the fact that they won the, the gold in the football was such a massive deal for the country. It's kind of seen as, oh yeah, we had a successful Olympics because we won gold in the football. Yeah. And especially the World Cup embarrassment it was kind of glossed over that they because it was at their home stadium, you know, and that they beat Germany. Yeah, against so, Germany uh, again, yeah. But yeah, if you look at that squad, but if you also look back to um, Beijing in 2008, uh, some of the players that were on that Argentina team that won, like Di Maria, Tevez was the one that their top scorer, like big names. But the winner in that game in the final from Di Maria is sensational. It's like yeah. it's it's like a little pass in the wing, cuts and dot, and chips the keeper in like the dying minutes of the game. So you see the South Americans really, really going all in on it. But uh, anything to say about that Brazil team and that? that. Yes, yeah, it's, it's so strong, and you said it's a good story. The fact that kind of it came against Germany as well after kind of the humiliation, I suppose, um, of a couple of years ago when they lost seven one that time. But um, yeah, the Brazil strong squad. Like I have a lot of time for Neymar in France. I know he gets a lot of stick for uh, yeah. for whatever. I do. I, I think Neymar is one of the best players in the world I think he has been consistently for quite a while I think he's he's an entertainer I think that the fact that he kind of okay he has a couple of things in his game that are not ideal but when you look at the modern player I think he kind of epitomizes everything that I want to watch if Neymar's playing if Neymar's playing or PSG are playing Brazil playing I want to watch Neymar you know what I mean obviously there's, there's plenty of great players there with Mbappe likes and those kind of guys but Neymar is one that I kind of think yeah I, I would I, every time I'm sit, sit, I'd sit down and watch a game that has Neymar in it and I know I'm going to be kind of entertained and I don't I don't really mind that he has that kind of edge to him or that he has that kind of moany streak or he kind of you know what I mean like that's kind of he's mercurial in that sense where like every kind of 
really top talented player is a little bit like that is a little bit kind of temperamental a little bit money but he delivers consistently so that's kind of all the matters yeah and the interesting thing about him that i actually quite like is you cannot you can sometimes tell he really doesn't give a shit about his club like especially towards the end of yeah. barcelona like he, he didn't care uh but brazil has always been his focus like he, he yeah i think i think he lives for playing for brazil which is what i quite like about him like even though you see like sometimes he's like oh yeah he's got a foot injury and like for PSG in a big game, he, he wouldn't care. He'd be like, no, nah, I'm not playing or whatever. Yeah. But for Brazil, like he played through anything. Uh, and you can tell that the Brazilian team like really respect him, like especially after that injury he got in the World Cup in 2014, you know, they really rallied around him. Uh, and have you seen the documentary actually? It's an Amazon Prime about the Brazilian national team. No, I haven't seen it. Very, no. very good watch because it's just kind of, sh- it's a lot focused on him, obviously, because he is the star of that team. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I do agree. And I do respect his sort of, pride to come back in Rio and you know really go for it as like their golden boy as you mentioned earlier like he skipped Barcelona's preseason, even the start of yeah. the La Liga season to do it and like exactly. he didn't care like he, he was he yeah. was on this Olympics like um but yeah that's interesting and one of the main points I was I asked Ushin to come on is because he is an expert in Irish football thank you <laughs> no, matter how dreary, no matter how dreary it is and how, how yeah. sometimes tough to watch it is yeah uh that home end podcast is fantastic kind of you got some great guests that. Talk, thank about, you. Um, talk about the Irish game um so Ushin, I'd like you to take me through if Ireland were to play in the Olympics with the rules of so only three over 23 players how would you yeah. line up okay so I've gone for this was generally are 18 players so i'll go through the 18 i won't go in too depth but i'll go from 18 and then i'll go to the 11 so i'll go with my three overage players first so i kind of went heavily on the defense typical irish fashion but i went heavy on the defense in terms of the overage players so uh first overage player center back john egan sheffield united and um, outstanding player probably ireland's arguably ireland's best player right now obviously he's out he's out injured but you need a bit of stability at the back and he'd be there uh seamus coleman at right back matt doherty and coleman's kind of been a bit of a it's been an argument over the past year or so, but I think Doherty struggled a good bit at Spurs and Coleman's come back into his own recently. So obviously the captain as well, uh, great leadership. So Coleman goes in there. And I'm other overage players, Emma Stevens, a left back, because last season, one of the best left backs, I think, in the whole of the Premier League. Obviously not as good this season. Sheffield United has been found out a little bit, but Stevens is the kind of player that he's diverse, he's versatile, um, up and down the wing, can defend, can attack. And Ireland are notoriously light ice balls on incoming left backs yeah I know, that's one thing I was going to say yeah. is that um, when I was looking at my like the squad and stuff it's like there's really nobody coming to hunt that position down so you kind of have exactly. to bring them yeah we've got uh, Ryan Manning of Swansea but he's just over age so I wouldn't, wouldn't have him there um, so then if we go to so we'll start with the goalkeepers so got Cuevin Kelleher Liverpool goalkeeper and Gavin Bazunu, who's the Manchester City goalkeeper got Cuevin Kelleher starting obviously Kelleher would not have as much first-team experience, perhaps, as Bazuna does. Bazuna's impressing on at Rochdale in League One, I think. Uh, but Kelleher's looked good when he came in um, over those couple of games when Alisson was out and he was in ahead of Adrian, actually. Um, and he was he looked strong. I think he kind of he grew into it a little bit because I think last season he struggled a little bit when he came in. But he was good in a couple of games. Um, so he's the starter. He's underage, obviously. I think he's the, he's the one who's going to overtake Randolph, I think, um, in the long run. So he's there. Sorry, I, was, I just said I think that Kelleher's going to um, oh, overtake yeah. Randolph. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry. I thought just in, 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 in future. Yeah, um, definitely. I think I even, yeah. you can see, even see in the Liverpool games, you know, Klopp's not afraid to throw him in in big games. Exactly. Allison's a little iffy where sometimes he might play through. You know, it's almost like uh, Henderson and De Gea at United. You know, 
yeah he's willing to give him a shot so you know I'd say yeah that's definitely one for the future yeah I think just don't want to dwell too much on but the way he plays um, he's so good with the ball at his feet he clipped the ball long and clip it short and that's the kind of way Stephen Kenny's going to want to play so I think he's the one for the future so then apart from my other defenders so I've got Darryl Shea at centre-back he qualifies obviously because he's underage he's excellent um, West Brom defender has been kind of in and out of the squad or in and out of the West Brom starting 11 the last couple of weeks but I think he's taken really well to the Premier League and um, he's done really really well one of Ireland's bright sparks when they played their last internationals it was an injury hit squad but O'Shea was excellent he's first all can play right back centre-back even from left back so he's in there for sure uh, another centre-back is Nathan Collins off Stoke only 19 years of age and um, He's impressed for the under-21s, hasn't yet to get a full call-up for the senior team, but plenty of interest in him um, from the likes of Burnley. I think West Ham might have been interested too, offering around 10 million. So um, he's captain Stoke a couple of times over the last couple of seasons. I think he's Stoke's youngest ever captain um, oh. against Leeds, I think that game was. So yeah, he's captained them before a couple of times. So he's a talent for sure. He's one there. And then our final defender is Leo Connor. He's with Tranmere at the moment on loan from Celtic. Probably won't get in the Celtic team, but another versatile player. He's only 20 years of age. He's Ireland's most capped underage international ever. And um, so he's in there. He impressed against New Zealand in a friendly, I think, in 2018. He was his first cap for Ireland. So he's in there. Our midfield is very, very young, but there's a lot of talent in it. And um, so uh, Jason Malumbi is in there. He's kind of the bright, <laughs> the shining light, I suppose, in the Irish midfield. Yeah. Really, he has been. Uh, I love Malumbi. I think he's an excellent player. I've liked for since the first time I saw him for the 21s. He's the kind of player who's up and down the pitch all the time. The kind of player who, and I love this about him, is that you always know when Jason Malumbi's playing a game of football. Yeah, I, yeah even in the limited you know, games I've watched him yeah. for the Irish senior team, um, yeah. I've always he's always he's always put in a good shift. Yeah, and I like that about him. I like the way he demands the ball. I like the way he passes it with, and I think. And now I don't want to be comparing him to Roy Keane or anything like that, but one of Roy Keane's best traits, I think, was that he'd always pass a ball and he'd mean a pass. He'd never, never this kind of light little pass and never little tip tap. He'd always give it into the feet, give it a pace. And Malumbi's a bit of a bit like that in the way he plays. Um, another one, Jason Knight, he's probably my favourite young player coming through in the Irish setup. From Derby, um, is it? Yeah, Derby County's Jason Knight. Brilliant. He captain captain of Derby now at the moment. Wayne Rooney handed him the captaincy. And um, they were struggling a little bit this season, but I think he's played over 50. Over, I think played over actually sixty or seventy games um, at championship level. He's only still only twenty years of age. That's another was, thing about the Ireland team. I should just jump in here. Is no, you're like I always. I don't. I wonder. I wonder what your opinion on this is about getting guys into the starting team. Um, is it? Would you prefer the lads who are playing championship ball week in week out, or is it the guy who's kind of in and out of a Premier League team? It's, it's always a debate I have with my mates. And that's uh, like 50 caps for Derby captain. I want that guy on my team, you know? That's the kind of way I feel. Yeah, I'd be the same too. You see, I think Ireland would have been a little bit beforehand. I think a lot of international squads are kind of um, prone to doing this. It'd be the big names will play or the players who are at bigger clubs will play as opposed to the players who are playing frequently. Um, Like someone like Knight for sure, I think should be starting given given how, how many games he's playing there. And then if you look, if you compare that to someone who's currently in the squad, I mean... Like, I mean, you could probably argue Jeff Hendrick, but he plays a good bit. But um, just, no, you're right in that sense, though, that I think players playing is kind of, get 90 minutes is like, yeah, it's underrated in a way. Do you know what I mean? Because I think a player playing under 23 football, and this is where the, you did mention it, but this is where the argument comes in. There obviously is a push for players like Troy Parrott and Adam Ida, and we'll speak about that a little bit later. But um, the, the, the issue there with someone like Anita is that, he's getting games for Ireland, but he's not getting games for his club. And there's a sharpness that comes to playing every single week, regardless of what club you're playing with. And I know, like, I don't want to advocate for 
someone like Aiden McGeady because like I Aiden McGeady's flying at the moment. He's got nine assists in the last six games, which is a joke. Playing for Sunderland, I I Aiden McGeady's always frustrated me, but he's playing week in week out and he's delivering week in week out and like yeah, transferring that. Yeah, he's old, but he's still doing it. You know what I mean? So yeah, you can you could argue that if a player can set up nine goals in six games and keep if he's in excellent form, what's the difference between throwing him in? To internet, like I know the level is a little bit higher, but if you throw him in and he's on form, he's going to think, Well, I can do it here. I've done it in the last four or five weeks. Yeah, and I mean, he's not going to suddenly go and play Georgia and suddenly think, I'm not going to be able to do it against Georgia. I'm suddenly out of form, you know, that kind of way. So you yeah, kind yeah. of have to look at it a little bit like that. But sorry to go back to your full point, I went on a bit of a rant there, but back to full point, yeah, I think players who are playing at and it does have to be quite a, a decent level. I don't think yeah. like someone playing in the conference or someone playing in League Two. No, League of Ireland. A League of Ireland, I think. Yeah, I think to be fair, I think Kenny will do that as well. I think Kenny will give players a chance um, in the it's League of Ireland. I think, a bit, like. Exactly. I think, but I think they have to be like that. Though I think they have to be exceptional. I think I know he brought in the likes of Aaron McAniff and, and Graham Burke um, in the last squad, but that was due to injuries and things like that. But I think they have to be exceptional. I think it has to be a Jack Byrne or even Michael Duffy off the dock. He's been excellent in the League of Ireland consistently for years. So I, I don't think it, it, it's the case of someone who impresses for maybe four or five games and then they get in. I think it has to be someone who really seems like they're a level above that. Um, but right. yeah, so that's 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 on that one. Again, that was a bit of a rant, but... Um, oh, no, no. Love it, love it. Your yeah, is- uh, so, so another midfielder is Will Smallbone, player who kind of is a little bit under the radar. Southampton midfielder, and um, he's English-born, qualifies through. I think it's through his granny, and um, plenty of games for Southampton. He's done his cruciate knee. I think he's done his cruciate or some some bad knee injury, so he's out. He's only twenty-one years of age, and um, he's played I think fourteen or fifteen games for Southampton last season. Um, good talent, holding midfielder. Uh, he's in there. I think he's going to be a good player for Ireland, if provided he chooses Ireland. That's another. That's probably yeah. a conversation for another day, but. Uh, He's there. And then our other two is under-21 players, Jack Taylor. He plays for Peterborough. He's uh, scored, he's played 36 or 37 games for Peterborough in League One, which is quite a decent number. He's only 20. And then Connor Coventry. And I think Connor Coventry is one, to kind of go back to your point earlier, Harry, um, he's a great talent. been excellent for the under-21s whenever I've seen him play. was on loan at Lincoln last season and played a good bit. But he's with West Ham now and he's not getting a sniff. He's not even near the start in 11. So I, I didn't want to really put him in because of that point that you made that He's actually not necessarily playing games. Like he's a great talent, but he's just not getting game time. So where do you kind of balance it out? Do you know what I mean? So that's midfield. And then into the attack. The attack is actually quite strong. It looks quite it looks quite well on paper. Um Aaron Connolly, I think he's probably the first. I think Aaron Connolly could well yeah, be the first he was name the of the first Irish one on my team, little team here. Yeah. yeah, I think he could well be the first name of the Irish team sheet right now. I mean, if you take away Egan, obviously he was injured. And yeah, Ian and Stevens, but I think Conley's up there too. I think what Conley brings is something that Ireland just haven't had for years, and that's pace. Like, it's pace, it's it's directness, it's a little bit of a cutting edge. I kind of we kind of spoke about Neymar a little bit. Again, not a hugely direct comparison, but Aaron Conley's the kind of player who'd moan at the referee and he'll go down maybe a little bit easily, and he'll he'll kind of be niggly at the defenders. And he's the kind of player that if you were centre half, always Neymar. Yeah, it's a callaway name, right? Yeah. Well, he's the kind of the player, if you're the centre half, you're kind of thinking, do you know what? I do not want, like, you come off the field against Arkan, you think, I didn't enjoy that one. Do you know what I mean? He was just buzzing around me. He was at my ankles and he went down a couple he's of times. very young as well. I didn't realise how young he is. Yeah, I think he's only 21, yeah, he's if even 20, that. Early 21, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And he's got good Premier League experience. Fitness is a little bit of an issue in the sense that he gets injured quite frequently, but he's the kind of player who will grow. Um, He'll get better. His attitude, I think, has improved quite a bit over the past few years. I had read a couple of things beforehand, but I'd never experienced I've, I've interviewed him a couple of times and he was always a, a really nice guy. So uh, Aaron Conley, I think, is, is a 
huge talent. And then we've got obviously Troy Parrott, who's kind of supposed to be the savior, I think, of Irish football. But um, again, Jose doesn't Troy like him that much, though. Is he said Jose doesn't like him that much, no. But it's important to remember how young Troy Parrott really is. He's only he's only nine. I think he just turned nineteen. Like, do you know what I mean? So he's still so so young. Uh, he's at Ipswich now. He was at Millwall. Didn't score, but from from what I read, he done okay in terms of excuse me his overall play and things like that. But now he's at Ipswich, he's getting game time and that'll be good for him. So hopefully he can kind of, he can live up to the hype, but it will be interesting to see. Um, Adam Ida in there as well. Again, he's capped quite frequently now for Ireland. He seems like he's the number one choice. And I was speaking um, to Anacal on my own podcast about this and he meant, we were kind of talking about who's Ireland's first choice number nine now. And I think it kind of is, it is Adam Ida because there's no one else. David McGoldrick is retired which is obviously a huge blow and then you've got you look at the likes of James Collins who's playing for Luton and you're thinking okay he's in and out he's scoring a couple of goals but he's he's very robust kind of player he's not for a lot as well there's not yeah there's not a lot of subtlety in his game and you're kind of thinking well is it more beneficial to Ireland in the long run if you play someone like Adam Eder who right now is maybe not at the level that he needs to be but he'll only get to that level by playing games so it's kind of a and he's playing, 22. Is he, is he playing a lot. In the- he, he's been injured quite a bit for an arch. Um, he, he got injured in the last game for Ireland, I think back in November. He's only just come back into the squad. So um, he comes on. I think he came on for only, only one minute at the weekend, which is obviously difficult. But um, I think he's the kind of player who probably is still first choice number nine at the moment for Ireland, which is it's a little bit of a damning indictment of Ireland's striking options. But listen, he will get better. When you compare the, sorry, that England team I was talking about, and yes. then our team you see it's not actually that bad I, I think on paper obviously as well it's, it's kind of names but so we, there's decent attacking talent coming through and like if Ireland were to play at the Olympics we'll get onto that later about the qualifying and stuff uh, you know they wouldn't actually be that bad of a go because you know maybe the defence you know is a little bit ageing um, yeah. but in terms of going forward there is some talent there uh, and if I, I actually uh, have the same when I just I wrote down I wouldn't know as much as you now but yeah. I wrote down my, my starting eleven. I had Stevens and Egan in as well, um, yeah. and then I had a, I brought Brady, Robbie Brady as well, just the versatility of whatever, and also had a bit of, little bit of experience in attack. And, you know, he Definitely. seems to be getting his game a bit for Burnley as well. So you know, that's, yeah, that's yeah, he's disappointed. I think he was actually taken. He was yeah, he's not like, well, but like <laughs> yeah, he was brought on and taken off, which I hate to see. But he done. He actually had he done well. He was one of our own sports back in the last qualifying. Yeah, he's kind of rediscovered like, a little bit of form anyway since since twenty sixteen. Yeah. But uh, that's what I was going to get on to next okay, in terms of qualifying. So in Europe, they take the the under twenty, they use the under twenties championship uh, to for qualifying, and those teams uh, going into Tokyo are France, Germany, Romania, and Spain. And interestingly, uh, obviously with the Euros going on, Romania didn't qualify for the Euros, so they'd probably actually have a good go, but kind of focus on it for the summer. Yeah. Uh, but in France, Germany, and Spain, take away the Euros. Who do you like in there for looking forward? In terms of young talents, in terms of France, Germany, or Spain, yeah, uh, I like France. I really like France. I think France have a lot of good players coming through still. Like even at, you look at senior level, they have so many good players. Germany are great as well. Germany are always kind of Germany are like everyone speaks about just in general the Germans kind of being efficient. And I think there's efficient in everything they do. They just kind of have this kind of. I always sorry. felt with Germany that they, the squad was always aging. Like Muller was always getting a game. You yeah, know, even towards the end of like the likes of Schweinsteiger, but you still have so much young talent. That's kind of the way the system is there. Is you got like Kimmich who came through and is now one of the an great yeah. player. The Bayern have shown they're probably favourites for the Champions League. You know, so the disappointment they had in that last World Cup, you know, and 
feeding that young talent through probably being in the Olympics, as you said, is probably something that's good for that team, you know, getting the under 23s a game, whereas they might not get it for the senior squad, you know, definitely. Uh, yeah. The likes of Serge Nabry as well. I think he yeah. was in the last squad. Like he's one of those that you kind of look at and you think that the Olympics probably did benefit him in, in many ways, getting yeah. that international experience. Uh, and then from Africa, we have Egypt, Ivory Coast and South Africa. Uh, and then we have Australia, New Zealand as well, which is always quite interesting. But the point about Australia is they're actually playing in the Copa America this summer. I actually, because uh, I, I saw something about Qatar. Yeah. We're yeah. supposed to be playing. They're not anymore. But that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. But Australia are, are still going, I think. Uh, and yeah. obviously Argentina, Brazil. And they're going to be playing. They're going. They're also playing in it. And then you have Japan because they're hosts. And then you have South Korea and Saudi Arabia uh, coming from the Asian teams. And it's always weird. You'd never know about these teams, but yeah. they're probably going to come out and you know, put it all in, especially South Korea and Japan as like very close proximity to the games. Uh, and you've seen as well in the Middle East with like, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, those kind of countries are putting good money into this. You know, yeah. I remember watched that documentary uh, that Sky did with Neville who went to Qatar. And it's just oh, yeah. immense about the amount of work that's being put in. Uh, and then there's two CONCAF nations that they, they haven't qualified, they haven't done the qualifying yet. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's just interesting that it's such a random assortment of teams. And like, you know, it's maybe as with the World Cup, you know, it's very much more Europe and South America focused. Well, this is way more evenly split. Yeah. It's interesting that it is more evenly split though, because like that's how a lot of like every other sport in the Olympics is like that too. Do you know what I mean? So like yeah. it should be, I think it, it's, it's fair that it's like that. Um. But yeah, like the qualifying, you mentioned the qualifying um, routes, I suppose, and things like that. Like, I, I think it's interesting, like the fact that the under 21 euros, like that kind of, that's that's a way to qualify for the European teams. And I think that's interesting. And I think in a way, like it would be interesting if Ireland, I know Ireland have never, Ireland have actually never reached an under 21 um, European championships. But I think if they're like... Great stuff. Yeah, it's a terrible, <laughs> terrible stuff. They, they probably should have done it this year. In fairness, there was a... For, sorry, last year, um, they had a supremely talented team and they beat Sweden a couple of times and they drew Italy and they got a couple of nice results there. But um, just on that point, yeah, it's like it's a, I think it's a really interesting kind of incentive, I suppose, as well for a lot of a lot of players and a lot of teams to 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 do well at that tournament because, again, like you can progress too. There's a natural progression there too. Yeah, yeah if, like, if, you, that, if you turn up at like a big stage in a semi-final final of the Olympics with a bit of pressure, you know, it's, as you said, yeah. it's going to be, it's better than playing against Postman in the Icelandic division. <laughs> 100% it's definitely yeah. better than that, yeah. yeah. And uh, something as well that, uh, that came up earlier, the, the women's game. Yeah. We had, I had this debate with Sean on the first episode where I still think from watching and reading a few things that the Women's World Cup is bigger. Mm. And like the Women's World Cup is a big deal, as you saw, like especially, you know, you have the likes of America, and, you know, just dominating it and the Brazilian team, obviously. And, you know, teams across Europe. The lack of a restriction on the Olympics is is a big deal, I think, for the women's game because uh, it kind of showcases the top level as much, whereas the men's game, obviously, the superstars, a lot of them aren't there. So just yeah. what would you think about the women's game? What's the state of the women's game in Ireland? Yeah, definitely. I think it's... I think it is... It's probably... The World Cup, I think, will just probably be more prestigious in general, just oh, it, regardless. Yeah. Even if they took, even if they did it with the men's game, where they just said, "Okay, no restrictions, everyone's allowed to play." Clubs don't care, not clubs don't care, but clubs will let you play. I still think the World Cup would still be above that. So that's probably that's probably that that in the in the women's sense, there's probably that the reasoning for that. But um, the women's game in Ireland is strong. Yeah, it's getting stronger, definitely. And Vera Powell, the 
Dutch coach of the Irish national team just signed a new contract too. And there was they had a good chance at qualification. I think it was for the Euros last year, or it would be coming into next year. Um, but they had a couple of disappointing results in the end. But yeah, it's growing. It's growing definitely. I think it's growing everywhere, really. Um, and I think you look at the benchmark of your likes of Germany, your likes of Japan, your likes of the USA, like even in England, like I think the USA are the, the, the huge benchmark for, for women's Yeah, football. they've won they won most of the medals in the Olympics. Yeah, it's and brilliant. And people can and people this is no disrespect, but people really do take it. I think people still here don't take the Irish game seriously or don't take women's game seriously. Oh, you can see why the turnouts at the American game, you know, or the, yeah, like even at, even in the states, um, they did viewer numbers uh, for the World Cup, the women's and the men's World Cup, and the women's World Cup viewer numbers were better in the states than the men's. Yeah, obviously the US weren't at the men's World Cup, but still, that's still a sign of growing, and you know, a sign of that the Americans are buying in. Especially because they seem to just dominate. Like they, they, I mean, I watched a few of the games that they played, and they do just kill teams. They're brilliant. It's a big They're controversy brilliant. that they kind of was. I think it was Thailand. They beat like thirteen nil, fourteen nil, or something. But like that's yeah. that. You see, that's the thing. That's the double standards because that wouldn't happen in the men's game. If someone beats some team thirteen nil in the men's game, everyone's like, "Oh, that's a great result, whatever." But in the women's game, it was like, "Oh, they should have shown them more respect. They should have done this." No, last year. No, that's nonsense. Yeah. Nonsense. Yeah. No nonsense. But um, yeah, in terms of the Irish game, like. It's, a lot of it is just about getting people's eyes on it. Do you know what I mean? It's, a, it's not a case of, I think, and oftentimes it's not a case of people don't care. People, it's not a pe- case of people don't like it. It's a case of people aren't maybe aware of it. They just mm. don't see it as much. Do yeah, I mean? I, 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 you see that as well. I think RT are actually doing a good job and TG Carr yeah. especially. Of, you know, I, I, from the in terms of GA and, you know, the women's rugby is always shown as well. Uh, and, you know, and the hockey as well. You know, they, they, they're shown on RT at prime time and, you know, they get Donnybrook which is like a decent stadium. Like they do get a good atmosphere there. Yeah. And I think they've done a really good job of kind of taking that venue because it's set up for the TV really well. It's set up with the stands, you know, you can properly run an event there. Mm. Uh, so that, I do think it is growing, but again, there is steps that need to be taken as well. I do agree. Yeah. No, you're right though on the RT thing because I remember watching, I think it was again Ireland against Ukraine. It was one of their, I think if they won, they had a chance. At, they ended up drawing. They won, they had a chance at getting to a playoff to get to the Euros. But, like it was in Tala and I think like the atmosphere was very good. Do you know what I mean? Like they, mm. the, there were fans there. The atmosphere was strong. Like they kind of made it, it was nearly made like a kind of families went and it was made like a day of it or like an event of it. And I think that could be a good way of going about it. That could be a good way of mar- marketing. Yeah, you know, it, here we are, as, as, with every, like, as with every sport, whatever gender, whatever, it all starts with the grassroots. Like it starts yeah, with just getting, it, getting the interest in early having kids playing sports regardless I think is is the way forward and um, sure. but yeah that's very interesting and I just want to finish on this is like so I think from your honor, you you think football should be an Olympic sport oh definitely oh yeah yeah, yeah. I think I've turned on it a little bit um because I do feel like it maybe has its place but I, I think if it was taken out I don't think it would be um, I don't think there'll be a huge amount of controversy, but so I read a, I read a few opinions on it. There's, there's, there's some very good articles right there about, you know, the history of it and, you know, it should be involved. And the, the, yeah. there was a Bleacher Report one. And um, I think it summed it up well is that it's it's a great proving ground for future stars and a showcase for the lesser nations. Yeah. The one debate that I'd have to counter that is, is that what the Olympics is all about? So is the Olympics is the pinnacle, is the peak. <laughs> Yeah, probably not. But could you could you go and push the envelope into the boxing? So like boxing, obviously the amateur mm. sense of the boxing. Well, yeah, all the you know combat I mean? sports you, are amateur. Yeah, yeah so. yeah. so could you kind of go in that? But then is it's not fully amateur, so it's 
yeah. half and half. Like it, it also for football, it's really tough to do all amateur, like really tough. Like oh yeah, like I mean, I think it'd be funny though. Again, is I think Sean said this on the other podcast that like you just got around, picked like eleven random guys. That's <laughs> the thing. Who? What would yeah, the criteria be? Like you have to run some sort of amateur tournament, and then just whoever yeah. wins that or have a selection for that. But be very funny because like. They all that always there's always that debate about like in the athletics or something they should always just put a regular guy in it to show like, <laughs> how fast these people are and stuff. You yeah, know? if you exactly. just had like even if you had like okay you have to pick four guys in the football team at all times that's the amateurs <laughs> you can see yeah, how you can... good the the standard actually really is when you have exactly. like some of you in the middle of the park doing a yeah. shift. <laughs> <laughs> that would be good. Yeah, yeah, but no, that's a good. I like that that quote about the kind of lesser or. The lesser nations and the fact that like it, it is a kind of cultural thing in a lot of different places like because i kind of thought back to like the 04 in athens where argentina won it and that was when marcelo bielsa was the manager and like it's kind of a little bit like the neymar thing you said but he was coming off it going into the 2002 world cup argentina were kind of one of the favorites to win it and they dominated the qualification campaign in south america and kind of people had put this expectation on bielsa and that team of really really overperforming in the world cup and perhaps winning it and they they ended up not even getting out of the group or i think they might have got out of the group and got beaten in the last 16 and that kind of damaged that reputation of that argentina team and then they were able to bounce back yeah and they kind of made it the story kind of made it more prestigious or the, the, the loss i think in o2 kind of made it more prestigious for them do you know what i mean so i think a lot of it in, yeah is, I, is I, think, I think i think rio really helps it i think yeah the, the brazil winning it in rio and you know the packed stadium and like it was like a, they didn't know if it was the olympics or if it was a real like that's the cup. thing like you, yeah i think that really really gave it that boost and it'd be interesting yeah. going to a country like japan where you know not a really big footballing tradition but it'd be interesting to see what kind of atmosphere is there but yeah it's contextual i think a lot of it yeah thank you for so much for coming on no problem Harry, it was great we enjoyed really it enjoyed really learned something uh learn some new irish under 20s that might <laughs> yeah keep an eye out for them for those players that will definitely Last probably not make go, it. Are we qualifying for the World Cup? Are we going? For, it's going to be very, very tough. It's going to be really tough, and we can't score goals. And like, you're not going to get too far if you can't score goals. And people, this is probably for another day. But people, some certain people have it out for Kenny. There's, there's kind yeah. of. I think that's there's a lot of info again, as you said the other day. Maybe I'll come on your podcast yeah. and tell you about the amateur. Why <laughs> a fan there's that a lot doesn't of, know a lot about football. Yeah. Why, yeah. why they should back him? Anyway, yeah. well, I think they should back him, but I. Yeah, sorry. I think they will. I hope they will, but I don't think they will. Right, brilliant. Thanks, Oshin. Thanks, Harry.